Brett McGarry here with Greg Mackling, and I'm excited about, well, I'm excited about the whole show, Greg, but at 7.30, 7.37, in fact, we have an announcement to make for a show that's coming to Winnipeg, and all I will say is I have already seen this person perform okay. in Winnipeg, and uh, both the main act and his opening act, who was a familiar voice in their previous exploits. That's all I can really say. I'll explain later on. But I was quite pleased with uh, the performance, and if you can get yourself tickets to this, we do have beat the box office tickets to accompany said announcement. You'll be pleased, too. I think the city once upon a time explored the possibility of bringing this individual to Winnipeg for an extended period of time. Maybe that's the only other clue that I will give Oh, as it pertains to our announcement at 7.30 today. And also, we're going to talk at some point about, well, at 8.37 specifically, but uh, the U.S. Open <laughs> over the weekend. Brooks Kepka wins the tournament, one of the major tournaments of the, the PGA Tour, but that's not what anybody was talking about, as no. uh, Phil Mickelson. The talk going into the weekend was, was would number 20, would the 27th attempt be the... The one. Is that right? 27 times he's he's take, tried his hand at the U.S. Open? Well, if everything that I've read is accurate, okay. then that would make it uh, so. But uh, he did not come close to winning, but instead he had he had some fun on the 13th hole on in round three on Saturday. Some say he desecrated the game of golf with his maneuver to use the rules to his advantage. And if you haven't spoken or heard about this... Over the weekend, we will fill you in what that's all about. But uh, I think you and I are in agreement that Phil Mickelson may be uh, getting a hard time for the wrong reason here. But we'll we'll discuss. Well, and I think that's also part of his reputation too, right? Doesn't he have a reputation for bending the rules a little bit? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe he does. Um, I don't care personally, but yeah, I think uh, Phil Mickelson is, uh, well, I know he's one of my favorite golfers. He's certainly one of the most accomplished golfers over the last two and a half decades of the game. Uh, what he did on Saturday, I, I couldn't believe the backlash he was getting for it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little much little, that's all the golf purists out there. Wanting to cry. These are the the folks who go out and play. And if you if you miss your tee if you tee off at a public golf course and can't find your ball, those are the kind of people who will go back to the first tee, right, or to the tee box and re-hit. Like just get on with it. Exactly. It's just, a, it's just a game. Have we spent enough time speaking about this that we better let people know who don't know what happened know what happened on Saturday? I I feel bad. I feel as though there are people yelling at the radios right now, wondering what did Phil do. Tell us what did Phil do? Phil lined up for a putt, and the putt uh, was a difficult one. It was a downhill putt, and he missed the hole. And as opposed to letting the hole really run away on him and the ball get away from him, he took a couple of swift steps, caught up to the ball, turned around and hit the ball back towards the hole before it stopped moving. Yeah, and that's because uh, he, he, had the ball kept going it would have rolled off the green for what the usga does u.s golf association for the u.s open they always take whatever course they're playing the tournament on and they make it almost impossible to play they shave the greens down so they're lightning fast they cut down all of the the grass around the green which is called the fringe and they shave that down so it's basically as fast as most greens you're probably used to playing if you've ever played golf so if you Hit a putt and it go. It tends to roll 
off the green. It won't just roll off the green. It will roll down the hill and 50 yards or 50 feet past the hole. So Phil knew that that's what was going to happen. So he stopped it, knowing that if he did that, he would be given a two-stroke penalty. He ended up taking a 10 on the hole anyway. Mm-hmm. He took a calculated play. He made a calculated risk, took a rule that's in the rule book, uh, maybe used it in a way that we've never seen it used before, but does that make it wrong? A lot of people thought it did. I a lot don't. of people want him, wanted him disqualified yeah. for this m- maneuver. I think some people want him like banned from the game for the rest of the year <laughs> based on what he did. All he did was take the rule, use it to his advantage, plain and simple. Yep. So we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up at 8.37. And you can weigh in, of course, at 204-780-6868. You can shoot us a text uh, or you can email us, brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Coming up at, in the next half hour, 6.30, this kind of surprises me given how, like one of the things that we've come to learn about millennials is they are very supportive of each other, they're supportive of community, and uh, but apparently they're not very good at tipping. That does surprise me. I figured when I saw the headline to the story, I thought the body of the story was going to be the exact opposite of what I read. Yeah. Millennials are the worst when it comes to tipping. So says a new survey that has come out where nearly two-thirds of millennials typically tip below the standard. Oh, wait a second. 20% is the suggested tip now? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Now, this is an American survey. Okay. And clearly, uh, the article that we printed off on this is not the first article that I read because the headline sort of gives away the article. I suggested I was surprised. I saw it in a, in a different story uh, where it alluded to something that millennials are not very good at, and this would have been one of the last things I would have guessed. But yeah, in the United States in particular, 20% has kind of become the standard gratuity in restaurants. And... Some millennials are saying, hey, I can't afford to pay the bill, let alone leave a tip. Um, maybe you shouldn't be out eating every meal. <laughs> just just, just a heads up. You ever run? What's the longest you've ever run? Oh, gosh. Uh, cross country in junior high. 3K tops. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a runner. Neither not am a I. distance runner. I know at football training camps, we had to do a 12 uh, mile or a 12 minute run. And if you didn't do two miles in that, uh, in that 12 minutes, you, you were, that wasn't good. That wasn't good. So I guess two miles and probably half a step is probably about as far as I've ever run consecutively. Yeah. I think maybe at the most 5k for me, same thing, cross country in junior high. And I was always, always, and I did it because I was trying to lose weight so I could get ready for basketball because I wanted to play on the basketball team. So I was trying to lose weight and cross country was in September so or it was right out of the gate when school started, and I was the last person to finish in whatever race. Didn't matter where. I was always the last one by like miles. I was I was an island, running way at the back, and uh, for that I was dubbed. Our, our cross country coach uh, was Colin Steele, 
or, or Mr. Steele. I went to French immersion, but he was our English teacher, so I got to call him Mr. Steele instead of Monsieur Steele. But uh, he 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 dubbed, he gave me an award called the Slow but Sure Award, and uh, my classmates made fun of me, but I appreciated the thought because he respected hold, my effort. Hold on, you finished last more than once every time, and you went and you raced again. Yeah. You know, I know high fives are kind of out of fashion, but I'm giving you a high five for that, man. Because to finish last and to ever race again in a cross country race, I, I embrace that, brother. Uh, good on you. That that that. You know what? That tells me a little bit more about you that I didn't even know before. I I, I respect you even more, buddy. Many run- runners are resting their muscles today after yesterday's Manitoba Marathon. This was, oh, they've even got the Rocky music going. I like that. That's triumphant, man. That'll help you get going. You know? <laughs> uh, that's a, just a quick side story on that. My, <laughs> when we were like three or four years old, my parents would put that song on. Uh, my dad had the, the Rocky soundtrack on vinyl. So they put that music on, and we would just run around the house. We had this like family circus style route, uh, you know, like Billy with his uh, little uh, jaunts around the backyard or whatever. Well, we would just run around the house to nice. that song, and uh, what was the other one? Going the distance. Anyway, that just mem- that's kind. Of, you know how sometimes you get flooded by a memory. I do. I know exactly. So this to is us every day. Here. <laughs> this is the 40th year for the event, and Winnipegger Corey Gallagher took first place in the full marathon with a time of. Two hours, 37 minutes, and 47 seconds. And he says he was just looking to finish his first ever marathon. What? First ever? First ever marathon. <laughs> this is on. actually a guy who won the uh, the beer mile, I think, in 2014. That's why I recognize his name. Yeah. <laughs> so he ran an actual marathon. Here's what he had to say. Now, I've never ran one before, so, I mean, any time was going to be good for me. Happy with the outcome. Uh... I'm going to be happy to take some time off right now. Much needed. He was about four minutes ahead of the man in second place, Jeremy Walker. Global's Joe Scarpelli was at the finish line and caught up with another first-time marathon racer. Somewhere in this crowd is a middle-aged man running his first marathon. I never dreamed I would be here at this point. If you asked Terrence Hollis half a year ago if he could run a half marathon, he'd say it's a stretch. Six months ago, my health, uh, blood pressure, 160 over 90, and that is, that's really bad. Uh, 45 pounds overweight, I've still got a few more pounds to go. Causing some health scares, so Hollis says it was time to turn his life around. My age right now, and at a point where that's it, I'm just tired of feeling the way I am. Better health was Hollis's motivation, but there were plenty of other reasons for running today. Whether you're a soon-to-be father... I'm going to be uh, a dad coming up in December, so I figured this is the perfect time to... Uh, to start a run like this since it's on Father's Day. A grandmother. What got me started was my son and my grandchildren. They did it and I decided I will too. Or thirsty for that adrenaline rush. When you start um, and you hear the pounding of all those runners on the pavement, it's just unlike anything you ever experienced. The Manitoba Marathon creates thousands of memories each year. This year celebrating its 40th birthday. It's the biggest event in the in the province, and as well, we're the only marathon in the city of Winnipeg. So, um, it's a great day for us. We've got families, we've got elite runners, we've got social runners, and a runner that proved to himself anything is possible. I never thought I'd be doing this, so it just goes to show you, for those of you at home watching, 
you ever want to do the marathon, it's, there's still hope. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. Amy Fight from Luverne, Minnesota, finished in the top spot for the women with a time of three hours, two minutes, and 50 seconds, which is... Uh, well, how long would it take me to run? If I ran a marathon at the pace I used to run, it would probably take me about 17 hours. So congratulations to everyone involved. I was going to guess three days, but... Uh, Actually, you know what? That's probably better. Yeah, you'd probably have to have a sleep. I know I would. Dip, 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 karta hai, zindagi ki har kahani You continue to amuse and educate me at once, Jerry. Story, please. Oh. Well, I, I don't get to play this song enough, and I love it. So uh, we're talking about tipping. So, uh, well, it's actually called typewriter tip, tip, tip. But they say tip, tip, tip throughout the entire song. So it kind of fits. So it's not about tipping. No. It's about typing. Yes. Okay. Who's, who performs this? That is uh, uh, Shankar Jackashan. Yes, that's right. No, it puts How do you know that? Because he's played it before. Has he? Well, yeah. I must have slept through that. I can't remember the context, but uh, yeah, it made me... Made me smile the last time, too. So thanks, Jerry. You're welcome. Great pick-me-up on a Monday morning. Why are we talking about tipping, Greg? Because millennials don't like to tip. What? Plain and simple. This is a new survey. Now, it comes out of the United States, so uh, maybe it's different in Canada, but I suspect it's it's not different. This came out of the USA Today, came across the wire this morning here in Canada. Millennials have been notoriously credited with taking uh, down bar soap, breakfast cereal, diamonds, and home ownership. What's next? It could be tipping. Nearly two-thirds of millennials typically tip below the standard 20% suggestion. Now, this is an American survey. I want to reiterate for tips at restaurants. While about half of adults older than 38 say they tip less than 20% when eating out, according to newcreditcards.com study, which was released this morning. Yeah, so we we heard a little bit from this uh, from Jeff Braun just moments ago in Global News at 6.30, but this study also reveals that 10% of millennials say they skimp out entirely, often leaving nothing for a server when dining out. And before we proceed, I just want to revisit something from the classic Quentin Tarantino film, Reservoir Dogs. If you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. All right, everybody cough up some green for the lady. Come on, throw in a buck. Uh-uh, I don't tip. You don't tip? No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping? Uh, let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. Uh, it's for the birds. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. <laughs> I mean, these ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage. And I used to work minimum wage, and when I did, I wasn't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. These people bust their ass. This is a hard job. So I was working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them, do you? Well, why not? They're serving you food. But no, society says, don't tip these guys over here, but tip these guys over here. Steve Buscemi... And Harvey Keitel, some of the notables in that classic scene, which goes on and gets a little bit more vulgar from there. Uh, one of the things that I always enjoy about that is you've got these criminals who are about to go out and commit violence and horrible acts, but they still adhere to the social norm of coughing up a tip because they say these these ladies live off of these tips. Don't that's, you care about that? That's part of the social contract, even though the contracts they're executing are ones on other people. Are quite do, literally executions. Yes. Do they do now? Do, <laughs> 
do they at this point even know one another's names, right? They're they're addressing each other by their code names, correct? It's been a long time, but yeah, it was just Mr. Mr. Pink, Pink and, and Mr. Whatever. All the different uh, colors, right? That's right. I have not. I've only seen that movie once. Anyway, getting sidetracked. We are, but we're, we're able to do that. Here, this is, uh, out of this uh, survey, uh, Ben Post uh, setting, he's a spokesperson for the Emily Post Institute, says the restaurant tipping thing surprises me. That's a pretty firm social contract in America, and that's absolutely true. There are jobs, and Buscemi points it out, where that's part of the accepted norm. In fact, that that's... Part of how you make your living is through gratuities, through tips. And in the United States, I don't know if for sure there are any jurisdictions in Canada that pay you a lower minimum wage if you earn gratuities. That's certainly not the case in Manitoba. It's been proposed, discussed, talked about. But in the United States, there are definitely jurisdictions where you make less if you earn tips. And in fact, they have software and they have accounting uh, practices down there uh, at a lot of these major restaurants where you have to declare your tips after every single shift. Oh my. And sometimes the tips are assumed as well, that you'll be taxed on an assumed amount, and you also have to share with the hostess, with the bus boy, bus girl, the uh, back of the house, uh, otherwise known as the kitchen, also gets a cut of your sales. And there's no discriminating whether you made 30% or 5% that day. You tip out based on your sales. Yeah. So there's an assumed amount earned every single day. A couple of traffic tips here before we proceed. There's a crash Main Street southbound at Bannatine. That's backed up to the Disraeli. So again, crash Main Street southbound at Bannatine. Backed up to Disraeli, and there's a caution, just a heads up here, Henderson southbound near Linden, there's a pylon in the median lane. So again, Henderson southbound near Linden, pylon in the median lane. I'm wondering, I think some of this probably has to do with the fact that maybe some just simply can't afford it. They're being, they're just trying to save some money, they can afford to go out, but they they can't afford to pay the tip, you know, the cost of housing and whatnot. It can be very difficult to get started as a, a young person, but I'm wondering how much of this as well has to do maybe with millennials just saying, just bucking the trend because as that's what they do, right? They, they don't. They buck the trend, whether it's career. Uh, you know what? I don't want to go get a job, right. uh, quote, unquote, job. They they go out and create their own job. They Side just, gigs. Yeah, they just, they, they form their own path. They don't want to follow, they don't want to read the textbook of life, as it were. They want to do what they want to do. And maybe they, they agree with Steve Buscemi. He says, why should I tip here, but not at McDonald's where they're working? And I worked at Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. I worked hard at Taco Bell. Absolutely, you did. Um, but I didn't get tips, and that's not a complaint. But I'm just saying, I it is hard. It's work. It's hard work at, at a fast for food sure. restaurant. You know that going in, right? You know that going in when you go to apply for this job and that job, uh, that this pays that, this pays this, and this job uh, has the bonus of making some gratuities, which tends to attract a different type of person, and it's not for everyone. Just like working at in a quick service restaurant isn't for everyone. I don't know if I could do it. 
I really don't know. We did Tim Hortons. We did Camp Day the mm-hmm. other day. I worked at the drive-through for exactly fifty-five minutes. Yeah, I needed a nap afterwards. <laughs> it, like to anyone who does that, I my absolute love and affection because ad is a tough job. It's tough. It's difficult to hear over the loudspeaker, keeping everything straight, doing it in an effective uh, and polite manner. Uh, Were you wearing a headset? No, but I could hear. I was standing next to Tiffany, and I could hear how difficult it was for her to hear. It was unbelievable how difficult at times it was to understand what people were saying. It's like, you caught that? Yeah, I got it. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. And anticipating people's needs. Of course you do. Uh, But I think at some point we will have this discussion about gratuities and tipping and whether maybe it's time to get rid of it. But you know what? If that happens, you're gonna you can expect one of two things to happen. Either your level of service is gonna go way down, or we're gonna have to raise uh wages for people that do those jobs in order to attract the type of people that can provide quality service. 204-780-6868 is the number to text and we got uh, one here from somebody who makes two great points and one quick text. I just talked with my millennial daughter who says that her friends who are servers think it's the other way around. Middle-aged people tip less. Interesting. And this person says, I always pay 15%, and this this is a good reminder of something Kelly Moore brought up a few months back, 15% on my actual food amount, not the total amount on the bill, which includes the tax. Mm-hmm. Why would I pay tips for tax? Thank you for the reminder. That's something that I, I admittedly always forget. Um I mean, I did, that didn't come into play. I went to 529 Wellington on Friday, by the way, and I completely forgot about the tax thing, but not that it matters. <laughs> they treat you like royalty at that restaurant, so thanks for your hospitality there. But uh, I'd love, so yeah, feel free to weigh in with more feedback, 204-780-6868. Another tick sa- tip says, good service gets tips. Another person says, what about the service? Why tip bad service? Never tip bad service. I don't. Yeah, I don't. If you Go to the manager. Bad. Go to the manager and say, you know what? I just received subpar service because it cannot be fixed if people do not know about it. I worked with an organization. My first restaurant organization was dedicated to ensuring that people got outstanding service. I'm talking about Chi-Chi's now. We had something called QSR reviews where we had secret shoppers came in and some of our quote-unquote best servers lost lost their jobs based on getting based on getting a poor review once wow yeah yeah one time was enough often for you to lose your job because there were high standards uh in that organization so uh yeah keep the feedback coming i have two views of it uh having worked in the industry but also being a consumer uh, i I hate to tip on bad service, and I, I sort of refuse to do it. But I will not walk out. I will speak and seek out a manager or an owner and let them know, hey, you need to know this is going on. I'm not looking for anything free, but you need to know that you've got someone here who's not really uh, playing the game by the rules and, and doing their job. Once again, uh, we're talking about this because the survey says millennials are the worst when it comes to tipping. So you can let us know if that is... True or false in your experience, we are certainly not hurling the accusation out. This is just the result of a survey and also worth reminding you that it is a survey in the United States. Mackling and McGarry on a Monday morning. Joining us in the studio, Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, 
Jeff Braun and the omnipresent behind the glass. Jerry, who's still behind the glass, he's not in studio with us. It's been a particularly bad month for auto thefts in Winnipeg. Just when we had this problem under control, bad habits seem to be biting us in the rear end. Police say there's been a 54% increase in vehicle thefts between May and June. They say with most of the thefts, vehicles had been left running, keys were stolen, or keys were left hidden inside vehicles. So police say if you leave keys in your home or business, they should be hidden. That way they say anyone who breaks into your home or business won't get your keys. So today... Grabbing coffee, talking vehicle theft. Have you ever had your vehicle stolen? Do you have a habit of leaving your keys in the ignition? And I know, Greg, uh, you have a story. We'll get to that in a moment, but let's go around the horn here. First, uh, with Shanna Lee, has anything like this ever happened to you? No, I've never had my, my vehicle stolen. I've had uh, vehicles entered and things stolen out of them and stereos removed, but I've never had anyone actually drive off with, with the vehicle. I've had important paperwork stolen, the registration but uh, yeah, but the car has been the vehicle has been fine because uh, they didn't have they didn't have the keys, and I've never left my vehicle running with the keys in there. Kelly, no, I don't. Uh, I, I listen to our good friend Brian Smiley from MPI with all the stats, <laughs> especially in the winter time. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's just one of those things where I'd rather sit in the car for an extra five minutes or so while it's warming up rather than having to call the cops and say, yeah, we'll get around to it. Jerry, next uh, year. <laughs> I've never had a car stolen, but my my new car has the uh, best anti-theft deterrent uh, possible. It's a hybrid. It's a standard. Oh, okay. I'll do it. drive the standard. I was going to say you have a pit bull in, in the back seat of your car. <laughs> Ron? Yeah, I had my car stolen. Uh, it was right at the beginning of the Pan Am Games in 1999. Couldn't have come at a worse possible time, but it happened. They found it about three weeks later. Just. Uh, a couple of neighborhoods down and like abandoned in a church parking lot. The kids just use it for a joyride. They stole my tapes. So those took my Metallica, my Bruce Springsteen tapes. No. They also oh. stole some prescription sunglasses. And, uh, and this was, it was 1999. So I had, you know, I kept my cell phone in the glove box. They took that too. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. But I got the car back in the end. So it was all right. One of them was dumb enough to burn their initials into the back seat. And <laughs> did the, did got a follow-up get- letter for saying these Following little punk kids have been arrested. Oh, nice. really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> the, that, the, what sucks when you have stuff stolen when your car is stolen, you have to pay two deductibles, right? You have to pay the one mm. for your car, and then if you want to replace pay, your stuff, you have to pay the other. I've had my vehicle stolen twice. Oh Once God. in 1987, I was driving home from high school. It was about minus 35, and I stopped to pick up my baby brother and sister, much younger than me, from daycare, only about 10 houses from where I lived, left the car running. It was my stepdad's car who worked up on the dew line at the time, and my other brother came running in the house. Somebody just took the car and jumped in and drove my bathtub. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I got in major trouble for that. It was found two weeks later behind the Bell Hotel yeah. on Main Street. And then about 10 years ago, I was working for Shaw Cable and I parked my car. We worked in teams of two and I left my vehicle, my F-150 at St. Vitale Center in the middle of the day. We were driving around doing some calls and I'm looking in behind this building and go, that looks a lot like my truck. Hey, that guy has blue bomber stickers on the back of his truck like my That's my truck! <laughs> I actually found it. It had been stolen. I found it before I even knew it had been stolen. Oh. MPI was a little oh. cockeyed when oh. I told them that story, but they said it does happen from time to time. So, yes, I've been, a, a, unfortunately, a victim of 
vehicle theft twice. We have an announcement just before the Couch Potatoes assemble to talk about what happened at the movies over the weekend. Craig Ferguson, The Hobo Fabulous Tour, October 25th, Club Region Event Center. Tickets on sale this Friday, June... Oh, it's Thursday. This Thursday, June 21st at 10 a.m. We have beat the box office tickets to give away today. And then Hal has tickets for the rest of the week. Also, there's a CJOB presale at Mm -hmm. Ticketmaster.ca. And that's on Wednesday from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. The password for that is Hobo Tour. Just like that. Hobo Tour. I saw saw Craig Ferguson at the Pantages. How was that show? Funny. Yeah. It was funny. And his opening act, and I... I can't remember the guy's name, and I'm ashamed about that. But it was the guy who voiced. Remember the talking skeleton that he had? Is his like? Yep. Uh, it was that guy. <laughs> it was the, it was that guy, and he's a gifted impressionist. That's funny. I don't know if you his his co-host or whatever his sidekick was. Ventriloquist was you know it was just like it was like a puppet. It was like a puppet. It was just skeleton. a skeleton that they'd cut to, and it would talk. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, no names coming. Yeah, uh, he would, he to would mind say there. things like "Love it." <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Got it. Got it. That, but yeah, the skeleton was on his TV show, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, got it. Now, okay, come. It's all coming together. And by the way, uh, if you don't get History Channel, get it simply for uh, Craig Ferguson's new show, Join or Die. He gets three different comedians, and they have a topic. One of them is telling a true story. The other two have to come up with a crazy story to come up with the reason behind the topic. Uh, Russell Peters and all the top comedians have been on this show. I highly recommend it. Very entertainment, a- a- entertaining and educational at the very I, same I time. I always just think of him as the boss on Drew Carey. Oh. Still. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. He's so smart, though. He's yeah. a very intelligent guy. Very exciting. October 25th at Club Regent Event Center. Craig Ferguson, Hobo Fabulous Tour, coming to Winnipeg. Something big happened over the weekend at the movies. Something incredible. Behold the Underminer! Watch after Jack Jack. I thought we were going to go. You heard your mother trampolining. We meet again. Superheroes are illegal. We want to fight bad guys. I use bad guys. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have. What? Someone on TV said it. The Incredibles 2 delivers a record-shattering $180 million opening weekend. Jeff Braun, one of the couch potatoes, is here. Pretty impressive debut, would you say? That's not bad at all. So, yeah, it's. I guess the cartoons always do well, but that's spectacularly well. Yeah, the, the original The Incredibles, when it debuted back in 2004, I still can't believe the 14 years ago from Disney Pixar. It made $261 million total. Holy smokes. And, and it was a successful film. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't yeah. have waited 14 years for the sequel, right? For sure, yeah. It's worldwide with $633 million. And uh, this one now clearly on pace for to destroy that total. Um, It'll be one of these ones that hits a billion in the next three weeks or something like that. Probably, yeah. you, you got to think. So, Jeff, why do you think this particular film did just as well as it did, especially in a busy summer season where there's no shortage of choices? Well, there, ha- yeah, but there re- hasn't really been 
anything for the whole family that's really caught on. Yeah. I guess the solo thing is sort of like a flop or whatever. And, you know, like Deadpool 2, that was a hit, but you can't bring kids to see that. Mm-hmm. The other big hits this year have mostly been horror movies, right? So yeah. I think it's just there hasn't been a really good movie for everyone yeah. in quite a while. Yeah, the, the, you know, the, it's a record as far as cartoons go because the previous top opening weekend for an animated film was two years ago with Finding Dory. Uh, that was $135 million. And on top of that, it's actually the eighth biggest opening of all time, Sheesh. defeating Captain America. Nice. Civil War was at $179 million in 2016. <laughs> and it even defeated Beauty and the Beast's opening of $174 million, which was just uh, last year. That movie went on to make... All kinds of cash. Did you see the first Incredibles, Greg? I did. I've seen it on video multiple times in our house. Uh, It's very entertaining. It's uh, one of those films that does a great job and not only... Pleasing the children, but it, it panders to the adults watching alongside as well. I don't remember it at all. I remember not liking it, though. But I was in a bad mood when I saw it. Yeah, well, try it again. <laughs> and again, it was 14 years ago, right? Try so. it again. You've been in a bad mood for 14 years. No. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to no, say? No. No, 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 no. Jerry, he likes superhero stuff. I know particularly more on the, the DC side of things than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But did you see The Incredibles? Absolutely. I love The Incredibles. Yeah. But, but Frozone was my favorite character in that I mean, how do you get Samuel L. Jackson to do a family movie? Yeah, that's right. I mean, right. really. How do you tone that guy down? And they did it, and they did it very well. Well, he's he's back in this one. They all came back. Apparently sight unseen as far as the script is concerned. Really? That's yeah. impressive. They just said, hey, we're doing a sequel. Do you want to come back? And they all said, yep. Wow. Sign us up. Can I ask Jeff a question? Yeah, please Will there do. be a sequel to Ocean's 8? There might be. It's still making enough money. You saw it on the weekend? Yeah, it was good, not great. A missed opportunity, I thought. We'll get into that in the Couch Potatoes this week. But uh, I wouldn't rush out and line up to go see that one. One movie that I don't think it opened here, but I did notice it came in 12th money-wise, and it was new in its first week, probably, I guess, maybe just in the States or limited. It was a movie called Gaudy. Oh, boy. Starring John Travolta as John Gaudy. Now, it's notable because it's at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Zero. Yeah, there's only 23 reviews, but they all suck. I pulled, I pulled a couple of highlights here, some of the review headlines. Uh, I'd rather wake up next to a severed horse head than ever watch Gaudi again. Oh, my word. Okay. Starring in this mobster biopic that deserves to get whacked is an offer Travolta should have refused. And uh, he may have been a murderer, but even Gaudi deserved better than this. Travolta actually <laughs> wow. wore actually wore John Gaudi's clothes. Really? For this movie, he said you could smell him. The clothes still had his scent, and apparently Travolta really went deep on, on a deep dive in terms of getting into this character and spend a lot of time with John Gotti Jr. and the family to get to know. Well, it didn't help who John Gotti was. So <laughs> yeah, and there's been questions as whether or not this movie glamorizes the yeah, whole mobster lifestyle. Yeah, some of the, some right? of the reviews I said I saw intimated that it did glamorize it way too much. Now, Jeff, before we let you go here, we might as well talk about what's coming this upcoming weekend, Jurassic World, yeah, Fallen Kingdom. You like the Jurassic movies, right? It's fun. It's just fun to watch people running away from the big dinosaurs. Yeah. That first Jurassic World was, at, at its time, the, the biggest opening weekend ever at $208 million that you had usurped the Avengers. Star Wars went on to crush it. But uh, you like the Jurassic movies, Greg? I do. I think they're spectacular. I just wonder 
How much money did they pay to make this latest one? Because you hear $208 million in the opening week for the last one. Did that even pay for the movie? I mean, these well, movies Well, its production are... budget was $150 million, But so then on top of that, you got to include its marketing budget. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, these movies are spectacular. But boy, uh, Steven, Steven Spielberg, right? The first one. Yeah, not the first anymore. Two. He's out now, right? Yeah, he did the loss. He did the second one. Yeah. yeah. He still gets paid, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure he gets paid. <laughs> what he did, always what gets did paid. you, Jeff, you revealed something startling about his salary. His standard contract is he gets 60% of the box office for his office. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I heard you say that. Were you talking to Hal about that the other day? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Oh, I couldn't believe Like, you can believe it, but you can't believe it all exactly. at the same time. Fantastic. So that's going to be exciting. That's going to be a huge hit. One of the biggest movies of the summer for sure. Can't wait to see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom out this weekend. Jeff Braun, thank you very much. Yep. Couch Potatoes, Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 6 p.m. Or you can get the podcast on Google Play and on iTunes. And also on Google Play and iTunes, you can get another podcast. Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. I sneak in there a little bit to keep Doug on the rails. We'll have our next episode of that up and available for you, I imagine, tomorrow afternoon. Macklin McGarry, good morning here on 680 CJOB. There's a seismograph on campus at the <laughs> University of Manitoba. I think I might have to give them a call later on, find out if this registered there. It was an earth shaking win for Mexico. Mexicans jumping in jubilation on Sunday shook the ground hard enough to set off earthquake detectors and throngs danced in the streets after their team scored a surprise victory over World Cup defending champion Germany. Star player Herving Lozano scored a goal in the 35th minute. Supporters jumped up and down, shouting, yes, we did it. And the Institute of Geological and Atmospheric Investigations said highly sensitive earthquake sensors registered tremors (laughs) at two sites in the capital seven seconds after the game's 35th minute. It called them an artificial quake. Now, could this uh, earthquake uh, have rippling effects throughout the World Cup? Kaylee Moore joins us in studio now. This is a big win for Mexico, a big loss for Germany. Well, it, it, it certainly puts the pressure on the Germans. I think they can still come through, but all of a sudden, the degree of difficulty once you get to the round of 16 increases sharply, whereas... Yeah, the Mexicans probably have to figure if they can win the group now, which is certainly before them, although Sweden looks outstanding. They're scoreless with uh, Korea, but they have just been all over the Korean net in the first half. But uh, that group F is now wide open. And and so Germany looks like they uh, are are human, uh, and and this really does uh, make an opportunistic uh, vantage point for the Mexicans after that win yesterday. And having spent winters down in Mexico, I was just thinking, man, what it must have been like. It, It must have been just absolutely incredible. How many matches in group phase before they move on to three. the next round? Yeah, you're, there's there's uh, four countries in each group, so you play your three uh, uh, in the group stage, and then you move on to the round of sixteen. Yeah, so it, yeah, it's fitting here because uh, Greg, you pointed out this story on uh, Friday, I think, uh, regarding or uh, Argentine soccer great Diego Maradona who says Canada doesn't deserve to host the World Cup. He mm-hmm. figures there isn't enough passion for the sport, but in this story. 
is kind of a, I think at the time, not I don't want to say a throwaway quote, but you got to wonder if this had anything to do with fueling the, the Mexican victory where he says, Mexico doesn't deserve it. The Mexicans come up against Brazil or Germany and boom, they're out. And they go up against Germany and defeat the Germans. Bulletin board material from a team that's not even involved in their group, Kelly. Exactly. And speaking of the Argentinians, I mean, they wound up tying Iceland 1-1 on Saturday. Fabulous. Think the gang at Brazen Hall and up in Gimbley were... <laughs> Did, did they have any seismic uh, we'll have measurements to check. on them? We'll yeah. have to check. <laughs> there were some earthquakes in the Gimli area. No kidding. And then, of course, yesterday, Brazil, who had not lost a World Cup opener in nine straight matches going back to 1978, wound up tied one all with Switzerland. So, it, it, I mean, this World Cup has just turned into a real dramatic type of unfolding now for, uh, you know, the second and third games of the group stage. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you know, Germany's going to go through and Brazil's going to go through and blah, blah, blah. Now, it it really does get interesting from here on in because of these upsets. Apropos that Switzerland would be even, Stephen, that 1-1, of course, the neutral country. But Brazil, we weren't anticipating that. No. How about what we saw on Friday with Portugal and Spain? Oh, that was just a, a game for the ages. And, you know, here's the other uh, part of this uh, World Cup on an individualistic basis. You know, uh, uh, Ronaldo Cristiano and Lionel Messi, you know, are basically 1A, 1B for the best player in the world. Wow. Who's ahead by a stretch right now? <laughs> yeah. I would say it's Ronaldo, right? Well, yeah, he gets the hat trick and, and finishes off the critical penalty kick, and Messi misses again. You know, against Iceland. So, yeah, it uh, right now it's it's clearly Ronaldo Cristiano who uh, is leading in that individual mano a mano. So you mentioned that Sweden is playing Korea right now. Right. And then at uh, 10 o'clock, it's Belgium versus Panama. And at 1 o'clock, uh, I guess the Kings will be busy because it's Tunisia mm-hmm. versus England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Panama's in for the first time. <laughs> If they somehow pull off a draw or upset the Belgians, then I'll tell you, it, the, the form is right off the charts as far as this World Cup is concerned. Kelly Moore, thank you very much for joining us to talk World Cup 2018, the biggest sporting event of the world, adding all kinds of drama that we did not expect. The Costa Rica plays on Friday morning, by the way, Mr. Premier, if you're interested. <laughs> My name is Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling. Right now we want to introduce you to someone or some ones, many someone. <laughs> many, many someone. <laughs> We've had Generation X, Generation Y. Now get ready for Generation Z. I guess depending on what side of the border you live on could be Generation Z. Today a new series is kicking off on 680 CJOB and Global News. This is the first story of an eight-part series on the Generation Z population in Canada, who they are, what drives them, and how they envision their near future. I define generations that as being very unique and uh, everyone having their own ways of thinking, their own mindset. I feel like our generation knows what they want. We're creators, we're innovators, we're entrepreneurs, activists. My performance, never settle for less. I would define my generation as a generation that exists within the fringes of complete immersion in technology and dabbling into technology. I would say Generation Z is very um, pragmatic and more sensible when it comes to issues of you know, career choice. It might be uh, the one generation that is the hardest to define just because of how 
uh, diverse it is. It's not a monolith. Some stereotypes about my generation are that we don't like to work, um, that we are constantly on our phones, which is probably true, at least in my case. The way we've grown up just leads a lot of other generations to believe that we are, uh, you know, just in our screens, we're buried in social media. I use Instagram, I use WhatsApp, I use Snapchat, I use YouTube. I use a bunch. I use Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. The one I use the most is probably Instagram. And that's just to keep up with the time, see what celebrities are doing, see what my friends are doing. My ultimate dream is to be a talk show host, um, and I would love for them to play this clip when I have my show. I feel like that's not even going to be a thing in the future, so honestly, I have no idea. Whoever's hiring, I'm literally down. For Generation Z, I think instead of work-life balance, it's almost like work-life integration. The very act of living revolves around work and making it so meaningful that it doesn't even feel like, you know, a job. Generation Z, the first mm. of an eight-part series on 680 CJOB and Global News. Now, one thing that uh, that didn't point out is what is Generation Z in terms of the dates? Do we have a defined line on that in here? Well, it seems to be a general consensus that Generation Zers or Zers are born between 1995 and 2005, making the youngest in the group 13, the oldest 23, although some will argue the generation ends at 22, born in 1996. Others that argue it ends when you were born in 19 for, uh, 1944, 1994. So, yeah, we can't even get consensus on that, but basically it's the 10-year period if you want to be uh, generalizing 1995 to 2005. Yeah, and uh, there is all kinds of mention of social media, by the way. You can follow 680CJOB on Instagram. I try to keep the Instagram story updated regularly throughout the morning. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Brett McGarry or Greg at GMACWPG. As far as the generational consensus, that's something that they can't, when you look, you can find multiple definitions on what Generation X is. Right. The, the one that first pops up when you Google just Generation X, mm -hmm. and it'll tell you 1961 to 1981, but I've seen varying definitions on that. Generation Y, it's or Millennials, it simply says start date 1981, so I don't know that there is a defined finish line for that. So basically, I, maybe it's because some people who fall into the edges say, you know what? That's not me. Not, yeah, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not a Gen Y. I'm no millennial. Don't, don't count me in as that. Hey, a couple of things that jumped out for me in that report. Work-life integration. I think that's something a lot of us have been striving for for a very long time, right? It doesn't. It's a way of life, so it doesn't feel like a job. Do something that you love, yep. and then it feels like less of an imposition on your on your off times, right? It is just something that you do. We're creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. You know how I feel about entrepreneurship. I know you feel the same way. That really, really jumped out at me. And the other thing that jumped out, Brett, is this. Gen Z's parents are Generation X. And what our research has shown repeatedly is that Gen X has chosen to raise their kids differently in part, and this sounds terrible, because they don't want their kids to end up like millennials. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm curious to, to, to see then how this generation will turn out, because I'm 
I'm cool with the millennials. I like them. I got no problem with the millennials. And I think that I wonder how much of that when when people complain about the kids these days. Mm. That just that happens every generation. I agree. It doesn't matter what. And I think a lot of it has to do with the people who say the kids these days are simply grumpy about the fact that they are not the kids these days. They would anymore. love to be the kids these days, right? Yeah. That's a continuation. I know my grandfather was very jealous of the amount of free time that I had, disposable income that I had, because as an adult growing up when he did, he had very little little disposable time or income. And when he saw me in my 20s having both, he was, I think, a little bit bothered and perhaps a little bit jealous of that. Uh, not alone. Uh, by the way, I, any of these generations, it's not exclusive to millennials or Gen Y or Zers, uh with regards to being buried in a phone. You know what? We're guilty. Everybody's guilty oh. of that now. It doesn't matter what generation you're a part of. I, I know people who are in their 60s that spend half their life on their phone or on their tablet. So uh, kids, don't let anybody give you a hard time about that. We'll have more on Generation Z throughout the week on CJOB and with Global News, you can get more on this. Globalnews.ca, the headline, Generation Z, make room for Canada's connected, open, and optimistic generation. There's certain ways to describe the game of golf. Whack and then another bad word that goes after that is one popular way. I often describe it as a stupid game for stupid idiots. <laughs> That's usually what I say every t- to myself about uh, about ninety eight times around. <laughs> yet, yet he loves it so. I do. I love it. That's Brett McGarry. I'm Greg Mackling. Jeff Braun uh, with the news for you at the top and the bottom of the hour, and uh, maybe some of the biggest news, at least as regards to in regards to social media, uh, on the Twitterverse and elsewhere over the weekend, had to do with. Phil Mickelson, lefty, as he's affectionately referred to. Here's how it sounded as he was playing the 13th hole. He was on the 13th green at the U.S. Open in Shinnecock Hills in New York on Saturday. This for bogey a moment ago at 13. So he he misses the putt. No, it's from YouTube. Okay, so what's happening here is he's missed his putt. It blows past the hole. The U.S. Open is always notorious for how difficult they make it. They make the greens lightning fast, and if you blow the ball past the hole, it's likely not just going to miss, but it's going to keep rolling and then roll off of the green and down a hill and into some kind of chaos. It's awful. I actually don't like watching the U.S. Open because it's not fun seeing the best players in the world be made to look like idiots. Worse than the British Open, I think, at times. Well, because the British Open is just difficult because that's the, the, the courses are, are tough, but it's the, the, the weather conditions are terrible. Usually, typically, there's just Correct. awful wind and sometimes rain it's and ju- cold. It's just, pardon the pun, par for the course in Great Britain, wherever they play the British Open. And those are the way the courses are normally. But they go out of their way with the U.S. Open to make them extremely, to make difficult golf courses even more difficult. Yeah, I mean, and I guess you, the argument could be made. It's the best will rise up, whatever. Mm. I like to see the best golfers in the world do what the best golfers in the world can do rather than look like fools. Phil Mickelson ended up looking kind of like a fool because he missed his putt 
And instead of letting it roll off, right. he ran around and stopped it in its tracks and then putted it back. You're supposed to wait until the ball stops before you take another putt. But he didn't wait. And he did so knowing there'd be a penalty. So here's how the rest of it played out as you listen to the stunned commentators. That, that's stunning. David Fay uh, here in the booth. Uh, we just saw Phil Mickelson. I mean, that was stunning. David Fay, uh, talk us through what we just saw. Well, that is stunning. Uh, the last time I saw something like that was at John Daly in the 99 Open at Pinehurst. Uh, they rule it. It's a two-star penalty. But uh, uh, that's basically his way of saying that's it. You know, no moss. So, again, apologies for the audio quality on that. That was pulled from YouTube. Someone had clearly just videotaped it. Uh, couldn't find the, the good quality audio on that. But And we'll hear from Phil Mickelson in a moment interview with Fox Sports on that. What was the reaction that you saw on social media on this? Well, it went from everything that Phil should be disqualified. He has uh, besmirged the game that he is will never be forgiven for doing this. He's made a fool of himself. He's done irreparable damage to his reputation. It was really over the top, in my opinion, because as you mentioned, this is this rule is in place where and they mentioned the John Daly. If you see the video of the John Daly thing, it's absolutely nowhere comparable. John Daly completely gave up. Yeah. Uh, Phil Mickelson used this as a strategy in order to sort of save his round, even though he knew it was blowing up right before him. John Daly had given up and hit the ball with one hand nowhere near the cup when he did what uh, that commentator referenced in that clip. So to me, there's zero comparison between the two. Let's get that off the table. What Mickelson did uh, was simply use a rule. Now I'm voicing my opinion. Use a rule to his advantage. Well, here's what Phil had to say. It's a simple question. What happened over at 13? Uh, look, I, I don't mean I don't mean disrespect by anybody. I know it's a two-shot penalty, and uh, at that time I just didn't feel like going back and forth and hitting the same shot over. I took the two-shot penalty, moved on. It's uh, it's uh, my understanding of the rules. I, I've had multiple times where uh, I've wanted to do that. I just finally did. Did you think the ball was going to roll off the green when oh, you hit it? No question. It was going to go down into the same spot behind the bunker. It wasn't going to have a shot. And I don't know if, if I would have been able to save a shot or whatnot, but I know it's a two-shot penalty hitting a moving ball. I tried to hit as close to the hole as I could to make the next one. And, um, uh, you know, you take the two shots, you move on. I kind of agree with Mickelson. I think that... If it's in the rules, mm -hmm. then why not use them to your advantage? All you have to do is go to, I'm just going to Google it right now, stupid golf rules that penalize players. And you get, here's, here's the results that you get. Golf's 13 most ridiculous rules and how'd we change them? The eight stupidest rules in golf. Nine golf rules that make absolutely no sense. Five stupid golf rules. And on and on and on it goes. There are a lot of dumb rules in this game that penalize the players. So if you, if there is a rule that you can take advantage of, yep. what's the problem? He took a penalty. He was penalized for his actions. Correct. And it was penalized accordingly. Also, apparently, he offered after the round to disqualify himself. According to his wife. And the, and the PGA said, no, you don't have to do that. Just take the penalty. 
Yeah. So he did that. Well, there, there, to me, there's no difference from what Phil Mickelson did to when Dustin Bufflin has somebody behind him on a breakaway who's going in on a breakaway on Connor Hellebuck, and Bufflin goes, you know what? This guy's pretty good on a breakaway. I'm going to trip him to make sure that he doesn't complete his breakaway. I'll take the two-minute penalty, and in worst-case scenario, we'll take the penalty shot and at least give Hellebuck time to get settled in, and we'll take our medicine. But we're going to we're going to play the odds here because we know that players score on only about 30 to 40% of penalty shots, and our penalty kill is about 90%, yeah. as opposed to giving him a sure chance at a goal. There's no difference in my mind. Or look at what they do in basketball. The final, I love basketball, but the last two minutes of a close basketball game are among the worst things to watch in sports because what do they do every time a team, if if there's a close game, you want to stop the clock and the way to stop the clock without burning a timeout is to foul, intentionally foul the opposing player and send them to the free throw line. So even if they score, they're doing it with no time, so that gives you an opportunity to go back and score with the the precious seconds that are mm-hmm. left but they it's in the rules you can intentionally foul the player as long as there's no intent to injure and the way it, the game goes i just don't understand golf fans and some of them how uppity they can be to the point where they have a hotline where people can squeal on you watching at home and saying that guy moved the ball yeah. And it can affect the game. I think they're taking that away, actually, starting next year. I just want to point people to cjob.com or globalnews.ca. There's a story from Ross Lord that uh, talks about new research that suggests you might be using the wrong technique. Um, and there's science that can help you shave off strokes. So go to the website if you want to learn more. I know that's what I'm going to do because I need to figure out how to has shave to do sco- with has to do with putting, right? I don't know. I'm going to find out when I go to globalnews.ca or cjob.com and watch the story. It's completely contrary to everything you've been told about putting. Oh, my God. That's that's all I'm going to tell you. Many of us suffer from or know someone who suffers from regular headaches and migraines. Sometimes the pain can be so debilitating that it could force you to call in sick for work and miss out on other parts of life. June is Headache and Migraine Awareness Month, so now we want to turn to an expert to learn about the different types of headaches and migraines, how they affect health and well-being, and what the best methods for treatment are. Join live on 680 CJOB by Dr. Elizabeth LaRue, Headache Specialist with the University of Calgary. Doctor, good morning to you. Good morning, and it's it's a nice week starting. No, it's work for me. Yeah, no kidding. Well, thanks for taking some time with us at the beginning of your work week. Uh, headaches are, are all too common uh, a problem for, for many people in Canada. Do we know how many people deal with, with migraines and other sort of chronic headache-type symptoms, Dr. LaRue? Yes, actually we know. So uh, it's estimated that migraine is, uh, in general, okay, it's 15% of the population, extremely common. But then we have to remember that migraine is not always the same thing. So you can have migraines just once in a while, or if you are have the chronic form, which is more than 15 days per month, more than half of your life, that's approximately 1% of the population. So that's still a lot of people. What is a migraine? How is a migraine different from a headache? Yeah, so the headache, we all know most of us will have what we call a tension-type headache in the medical jargon. It means it's just a headache. So it means it's kind of across the forehead or maybe in the temples or the back, but there are no other symptoms. 
So migraine is way more than a headache because it's like it's a neurological storm inside the brain. It's a neurological disease. So people will have all kinds of other symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, uh, hypersensitivity to light and sound, and they have to go to a dark room. Um, some of them will have an, an aura, which is kind of a neurological phenomenon, dizziness, cognitive difficulties, um, and neck pain, sinus pain. So it's a very complex phenomenon, and it varies from one person to the other. So that adds to the complexity of this neurological problem. What kind of storm did you call it, Dr. LaRue? A, neural, a brain storm. So it's, uh, it's a chemical and electrical event. So many of my patients are a bit disappointed when they learn that they have a normal MRI because their life sometimes is so disabled and they, they are in disbelief. And doctors say, was like, okay, it's just a migraine. Your MRI is fine. You don't have a brain tumor. But truth is that, you know, Wi-Fi exists, but we don't see it. The migraine is the same thing. It's chemical and electrical, and it's something that is gen- genetically determined. So we cannot see it, but it does exist, and it does uh, invalidate some people uh, suffering from it. Well, you said two very interesting things there, and I, I want to touch on them uh, at the same time if we can. The fact that a doctor might say to you, and I don't think your language was accidental, was just a migraine, oh, no. because I think doctors yeah. do say that to people, oh, it's just a migraine. Oh, well, thank goodness, because it's not a tumor doesn't mean that it doesn't uh, affect my life. And the whole idea of, of how this happens in the first place, can can you uh, suffer migraines based on a, a prior injury? maybe a brain injury or a concussion or, or these sorts of things? Yeah, so we have to understand that if you're born with migraine genes and then you start, let's say, in childhood or young adulthood, you have, let's say, primary migraines, which is you're just kind of, your brain is made that way. But those pathways can be activated by an event. So, for example, veterans from Afghanistan, more than a quarter of them actually suffer from headaches that, that look like migraine, probably because it's exactly the same pathway, but it's, uh, it's, not, it's kind of caused by a trauma. So, for example, you can be born with asthma, but then you can also have COPD, chronic uh, pulmonary disease. If you smoke all your life, you trigger it. So it's exactly the same system, same pathways, very similar symptoms, but different trigger or cause. We only have about a minute left here, but if somebody is suffering from migraines, how can they treat it? So the, the thing about migraine is because it's stigmatized, it's stigmatized for patients, but it's also stigmatized for doctors. So there's not enough headache specialists in Canada or in the U.S., um, and access to proper expertise. And I'm not saying, like, I, you know, I really want to thank all the GPs out there who are taking care of migraine patients because majority are seen by GPs. So you need to go online. You need to learn about migraines. There are better and better websites now. We have one, which is migrainecanada.org. It's not the best. You have others, uh, migraine.com, the Mayo Clinic website. Start a headache diary, get to know yourself, have an idea of what's your frequency, what's your pattern, maybe some triggers, and then start with, you know, migraine-friendly lifestyles. So the migraine brain doesn't like sudden changes. So you need to be a very good person, like good sleep, good uh, diet, uh, exercise, that kind of thing. But then migraine is a disease, so you need sometimes medication. And for this, you'll need your doctor to give you a medication to break your attack, and then sometimes if your attacks are frequent, you need a medication that will regulate your brain and make the attack less frequent. We call that prevention or preventive treatment. But that's not for all migraineurs. That's for most people who have, let's say, more than 
four, six days of migraine per month. But I see patients who have, you know, 25 days of migraine. So these people need medication. Dr. Elizabeth LaRue, thank you so much for joining us this morning from the University of Calgary. She is a headache specialist there as we're talking about June being Headache and Migraine Awareness Month. Greg, you found something on, well, regarding Canada Day and cannabis. Yeah, yeah. on globalnews.ca, a Tory MP, MP is fearing that Canada Day will be defaced by disgusting cannabis leaf t-shirts, flags, when pot is legalized. Clearly, Sarnia MP, uh, Sarnia Lambton MP, Marilyn Gladue has not been to uh, Osborne Street on Canada Day because I can tell you for sure that these t-shirts and flags that she's so afraid of already exist. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, calling on the government to ban the production of disgusting clothing. And paraphernalia promoting cannabis, fearing it will become more prevalent uh, prevalent after marijuana is legalized and that the items would disrespect Canada Day and the country's veterans. Here's some of what she had to say. Now, one of the, the amendments that they did not accept had to do with the banning of um, promotional things like T-shirts, caps, flags that would have a cannabis symbol on them. And the government did not accept this um, amendment from the Senate. I'm very concerned about that. There's a lot of Canadians out there that are worried that when marijuana is legalized in Canada, that they're going to use Canada Day to come with flags that have cannabis on them. Everybody will have a t-shirt with cannabis on it, and it will be disgusting. It will absolutely denigrate our country and the people that have served our country and made Canada a proud country. It will deface that. And the government has allowed those people to continue to have that kind of paraphernalia by refusing the language here. Now, it's total hypocrisy because under S228, which talks about, you know, prohibiting unhealthy advertising to children, probably wouldn't want to see pop or something like that on a t-shirt or a flag. But hey, cannabis, that's okay. So I'm totally opposed to that. Okay. Well... I, I listen. If she if she finds that offensive, and I'm sure there are many who find it offensive. I Certainly. am not going to tell her that she is wrong to think that. But I'm curious to know if the T-shirt was banned and someone decided to wear one anyway. Who's going to police that? The police? Who do you want to police that? They Based got, on what? Yeah, they got better things to do than than lock people up because they're wearing a, a cannabis leaf instead of a maple leaf on the Canadian flag. Yeah, I can tell you that these flags have been in production for probably two or more decades. Uh, Dr. Dre t-shirts, uh, Snoop Dogg t-shirts. There are all, all sorts of examples of t-shirts with the marijuana leaf on them. Kids wear them all the time. I hate to tell you this, uh, Madam uh, MP, but this is something that's been going on for a long time, and it's certainly not ramping up necessarily because of the pending legalization of marijuana. Why, why do we act like we live in a cave sometimes and, and we have our heads like underground. I don't understand this. Well, and one of two things is happening here. One of two possible things. Either either one, she's just trying to play to her base. I don't know what the Sarnian, Sarnia Lambton riding is like, but uh, she was elected in, so that would indicate that uh, there's more conservatives in that riding than, than not. 
and maybe that she thinks she's pandering to her base, or she is like many politicians, which is some of the reason why people kind of tune out when it comes to politics, because they get the impression that politicians have no idea what's going on and are not tuned in to the real world and focus on such such petty this is such a petty thing to be focusing on. It's almost like she's trying to justify her existence as a politician because I got to be frank, prior to this, never heard of her. It's almost as though she thought she was coming to parliament with some news that nobody else had heard. Do you know what they're doing? They're making t-shirts with marijuana leaves on them and flags. And instead of the maple leaf, there's marijuana leaves on them. Can you believe it? My God, the humanity. <laughs> anyway, you know what? Um, if there are members of the military out there who would be extremely bothered by this, offended by this, I'm willing to reopen my own thoughts on this topic. But uh, until I hear from somebody like that, I think I'll just put this in the pile of, oh, my word. Get tuned in what's going on in the real world, world ma'am. That And that... that that argument as well, that fallback argument, and I mean, no disrespect when I say this, but often you hear politicians or anybody of a high profile saying this is offensive to our veterans. You hear this more, that kind of rhetoric more in the United States. Mm-hmm. We often then hear from people who have served in the military who say, I fought so you could be free to do as you please. So if you want to do this, then that's your choice as a free living Canadian. Uh, so I, mean, I think it, we hear that more often than not. Yeah, we do. So that, that it, it often, I think we're, it, it, if I recall, it was because of the Remembrance Day, the conversation that tends to come up around Re- Remembrance Day with putting up Christmas lights before Remembrance Day. And a lot of times we hear from veterans who say, it doesn't bother me. You're free to do what you want. And I'm one of those people. I won't turn on my Christmas lights until after Remembrance Day. I don't like that retailers put their Christmas stuff in stores before Remembrance Day. Nothing I can do about it, but I'll certainly express my displeasure about it. And all I can do is just not turn on my lights. Yeah. That's all. That's it. That's it. That's all. Nothing more. Text us at 204-780-6868. Or if you want to weigh in, you can call us at 204-780-6868. Would love to hear your voice on this. Let us know what you think. Is Conservative MP from Sarnia Lambton, Marilyn Gladu, onto something here by wanting the government to ban the production of disgusting clothing and paraphernalia promoting cannabis using the cannabis leaf instead of the maple leaf on the Canadian flag? It's blasphemy, sacrilege. Or uh, is she out to lunch? Ryan is at 204 780 6868. Ryan, what do you think about this? Well, you know, I'm 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 glad that uh, I have an opportunity as the callers to set the stage here. I, I think what we should be talking about here is is beyond the the just the silliness of this, like, and and just the way she sounded, uh, like truly astonished at this, like like taken back by the idea that you know there might be a a pot leaf on a on a t-shirt, is the fact that she didn't know. And in an, I, if I was one of her constituents, I would be. I would want to answer. Like, I would be calling, honest to goodness, I would be calling her office Monday morning demanding to know why she is so uninformed about what's going on 
in everyday Canada, everyday North America, everyday Europe. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can find these T-shirts and these symbols. It deeply concerns me that that she has is so ignorant. Like, that's your biggest concern. How do you is, get a job doing right, this? Right, right. <laughs> how are you? So, how are you so out of touch? And I'm sorry if that ignorant word sounds too harsh, but it's the real. It's the definition of the word. It, it completely uninformed. Like uh, Ryan, it's not damagingly it, uninformed. <laughs> oh, I like that. Damagingly uninformed, Ryan. Thank you very much for putting it uh, so succinctly. We appreciate your feedback. All right. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to share. Thanks for the call, Ryan. And thank you very much for listening to 680 CJOB. Another listener, Dave, weighed in, and he said, because we asked if there are any members of the military listening, because that was one of the things she said, that it's disrespectful to the Canada, to Canada's veterans. And Dave says, I am in the military. I'm good with it. He adds, I have more issues with how the national anthem is sung at Jets games. Oh, So I weighed in and said, what do you mean the part where the fans shout, True North! And he said, yeah, and his take on it is, it does bother me. True North is a commercial company that brought back hockey, great hockey to Winnipeg, but they are still a commercial company and should not be screamed during the anthem. If there was Jets in the anthem somewhere and we screamed that, I'm okay with that. It's our Jets, but True North doesn't deserve to be sung in my anthem. Dave, thank you for your feedback. At 204-780-6868. I will reconsider the, my actions next time I'm tempted to yell at the top of my lungs to true north at a Jets game. You got an email this morning, Greg, from... Some, or I guess you got it uh, last night. Late last somebody, night. We've, I know that I did a, a feature on a number of... It was a, it was a feature on... Young women entrepreneurs who also just happened to run bakeries. One was Generate Cakes, one was O Donuts, one was Sweet Sea Bakery, which just opened a new location in Kildonan Place. Uh, Generate Cakes has a new location open at the Forks. And uh, somebody pointed out a new, uh, well, not a new, but another Winnipeg baking connection. That's right. Well, Winnipeg Scientific Sweets, a Winnipeg a local bake bakery, was contacted by a representative of Khloe Kardashian last week to make special cookies of her and her daughter for their homecoming. Yeah, the cookies are now being, well, you know what? Let's let's find out from Jen and Mary Lou, who are the creators, the people behind Scientific Sweets. And Jen and Mary Lou, well, first of all, good morning. Morning. So Jen, uh, is the, the cookies are being featured on TMZ People magazine and TV shows like E.T.? Uh, yes, we've been told by friends who are finding all of these articles online. They're sending us pictures of things as they're finding them. So, yeah, we're just as surprised as everyone else. We can hear the surprise and the excitement in your voice. Mary Lou, how did this come to be? Tell us about these cookies. Oh, well, we last, I think last week yeah, Monday. on Monday... Jen came into the office. We both work as medical technologists at the Health Sciences Center in chemistry. And she came into the office with, like, a smile on her face. I'm like, what's wrong? What happened? She's like, you'll never believe it. And it was an email from the executive assistant to Khloe Kardashian asking for cookies for their welcome home um, of her and the baby to Los Angeles. And we didn't think it was real. So we did some research. We creeped her on Instagram and... <laughs> Sent a few message messages and we found out that it was legit and 
they asked for cookies for Friday, and we're like, okay, we're going to do them. So, Jen, that, first of all, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's going to be monster exposure for you guys. Uh, but, Jen, you're, so you're, you're scientists at HSC, uh, but you also, like, where did the, the cookies thing come from? Um, it was actually, so Mary Lou has been baking for a really long time. She does different things like cakes and cupcakes and stuff. And we had a coworker here who was having a baby. So we were having a baby shower for her in our lounge. And she had just mentioned we were on an evening shift together. And she said, you know, you should do cookies. And I'm like, I have no idea how to do cookies. So we kind of did some investigating online and Pinterest and stuff and found some good blogs. So I tried it. And this was about five years ago. And uh, I started doing them for friends and family. And then Mary Lou started doing them shortly after that. And we just kind of decided to pair up and form this business together because we have very similar decorating styles, which is really hard to find. And uh, yeah, so it's sort of taken off from there. Uh, it's a fantastic story, very unique. Uh, now, I don't know who's who, which one of you is married to Simon. Is it Jen or Mary Lou? That's me, That's Jen. <laughs> so, Jen, uh, Simon, uh, I know, listens to the show on a regular basis and reached out to us late last night. So we're thrilled that you were able to join us this morning. Congratulations on this. How can people uh, locally enjoy your cuisine, your, your delectable uh, desserts and such? Uh, so right now we're actually not taking custom orders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? You've already gone Hollywood on us, have you? Not at all. It's been since the new year. Uh, but we've uh, our stuff can be found at markets and stuff, and we post on our Instagram where we're going to be and where people can find us. So yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not that you're you're not making cookies. You're just only making them sort of uh, sporadically. Right. Okay. And I do see. Oh no. I, I, I feel guilty now because I see that you were at the Third and Bird Spring Market in May. I was there. Uh, I was a little. It was the first time I'd been there. I, I was a little overwhelmed, but I would have uh, happily tried some of these cookies. They look. First of all, the decorations are so photorealistic. I'm like a, the detail in these decorations is incredible. How is that all done by hand? Yes, it is. <laughs> wow. There's a football one here. Greg, do you like Tom Brady? I can't remember. I can't stand ta- Tom Brady, but a Tom Brady cookie, I'll bite into that. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of cookies are they? Uh, they're sugar cookies. Oh, no. I'm so hungry. <laughs> this is what we do to ourselves. This is really kind of the a getting towards the end of our workday. It's not only lunchtime. It's bordering on dinner time for us. So uh, this is really not good timing, but outstanding timing for you. This is extraordinary. you mind if we stay in touch with the two of you? Oh, for sure. Definitely. Oh, I, do these, I see fidget spinner cookies. Do they actually spin? Yes, they do. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I tried them <laughs> Good for you. Wow. I am, yeah, so you can follow them on Instagram, uh, as I am about to do. It's just Scientific Sweets Cookie Laboratory. Uh, great name. The cookies look wonderful. Uh, hopefully we can try them sometime soon. Congratulations on the success. Uh, Chloe Kardashian, so what, did you tell Chloe you're not doing orders? <laughs> no, we didn't. We just took this on as something fun to do. Yeah. What, what kind of cookies? Or what, how many cookies did she order? Uh, she, their, her assistant asked for a dozen, but we ended up doing about double that just in case they broke because we had to ship them to California overnight. So it was kind of nerve-wracking. So we covered our bases and doubled it. <laughs> what kind of decorations did you put on them? Um, it was 
a few. Mary Lou did the faces of Chloe and the baby. Okay. And I did the ones. There's the floral. We haven't done our post yet. We're going to hopefully post at some point today, but um, some floral plaques and some flamingos. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at uh, one of Chloe's posts here. These cookies look absolutely incredible. Jen, Mary Lou from Scientific Sweets, thanks for your time. Get back to your real jobs and we'll, we'll keep in touch with you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Jen and Mary Lou. Just another Winnipeg success story uh, involving baking. Imagine that. A lot of people doing so well with baking in this community. And I'm telling you, man, you got to go check these uh, these cookies out. They're on Instagram. You can see them there. I don't have Twitter open, but I do have Facebook open. There is a page there as well. And the decorations are going to blow your mind in terms of just how good they are. And especially after hearing they're done by hand, there's even little cookies here, little plaid cookies shaped like the province of Manitoba. Absolutely love it. And by the way, can we give a shout out to uh, our friend Abigail Stewart? Yes. Abby had her bake sale on Kildare Avenue East on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I took the boy down. I uh, never spent so much money on cookies, banana bread, and fidget spinners. Speaking of fidget spinners. <laughs> oh, and hot dogs. But it was for a very good cause. Abby, we don't know how much money she raised. She was trying to raise $5,000 for the oncology unit. They're trying to create a new pediatric ICU in oncology at Children's Hospital of Manitoba. Yep. And if, well, based on our visit, you had a hard time getting parking just to get oh, on the property and to buy the incredible baking and to uh, Steve from Vicar Chevols Community Chev was there, uh, part of his community work buzz, Boomer, Dr. Goodbear. It was absolutely fantastic. So thanks to everybody who made an effort to go and say hi to Abigail and uh, spend a little bit of money. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And